This podcast is part of E2C Network, where we share the whole Auburn experience. Hello, and welcome to War Horses, the only college equestrian podcast that's going to catch you up on all of the fall action and get you ready for the spring. I'm your host, Auburn Elvis. Let's talk about some college equestrian. Uh, we did not have any meets to recap, so what we're going to do instead is we're going to do a oh, recap of the entire, entire fall season. season. So strap in and get ready because it's going to be a lot of stuff. But anybody just joining us, this is basically what happened in the fall season. Week number one got the season started off with a bang. Defending national champs and NCEA preseason number one SMU traveled to my preseason number one TCU. And the Frogs won 12 to 6. And they basically put the rest of the sport on notice. Um, Also that week we had UC Davis visit South Carolina and Auburn and they lost both of those. Now in week two, we saw Baylor stumble out of the gate at home against Texas A&M. South Carolina continued their winning ways, uh, beating UT Martin and uh, single-discipline Lynchburg. UT Martin also went over to Georgia, and they saw the same result there. In week three, TCU traveled to Oklahoma State, and they narrowly beat the Cowgirls 10-9. This was huge for them. It was the Frogs' uh, probably most difficult meet of the fall that they were going to have, and they got the job done. It's really tough to win on the road, as you will see soon. South Carolina continued their hot start to the season, going up to South Dakota State and beating the Jackrabbits plus Fresno State as well. Uh, By week three, the Gamecocks had placed themselves in a near lock to make it to Ocala, based on who they had beaten and also taking into account the number of spots that are in play for April's tournament. So good job, Carolina. Uh, Auburn went on the road to Baylor, and the Bears' woes continued with a big Auburn win. Georgia went to A&M, but the Aggies were not going to be beaten at home. Also up in Brookings, we saw South Dakota State upset Fresno State. On we go to week four. UT Martin hosted Auburn and South Dakota State. They almost won both, but Auburn squeaked out an 11-9 road win. Oklahoma State traveled to Baylor and won 10-8. Things continued to go badly for the Bears early in the season there. Oklahoma State went to SMU the next day, but the Mustangs prevailed 10-7. South Carolina also traveled to Georgia, but the Bulldogs proved unbeatable at home with a 15-4 win. Uh, There was also some single-discipline action with Lynchburg winning on the road at Dartmouth. Week 5 saw TCU blast Fresno State on the road. Georgia traveled to Auburn and lost, and Texas A&M got a close road win at Oklahoma State. So at this point, TCU is basically carrying the conference in the fall. Uh, We also saw a huge single-discipline upset with Dartmouth beating Sweetbriar in a tiebreaker. This win was big because it basically put the green on a path to Ocala. Uh, We also had Sweetbriar. They they would beat Sacred Heart the next day, and Bridgewater would lose at Lynchburg. Week 6. I got bronchitis this week. Don't worry, I'm... All better now. And over in equestrian action, uh, Texas A&M went on the road to SMU and lost in a 9-9 tiebreaker. TCU also went on the road and defeated UT Martin. Then they turned around and beat Georgia 8-7 at the neutral site. So another big win for TCU there. Georgia did beat UT Martin, though, and Auburn hosted South Carolina, beating the Gamecocks 14-4. Week 7. And there's like 10 weeks, so that's, that's how many I'm doing here. Fresno State traveled to Baylor, and we saw the Bears finally get into the win column. The Bulldogs then went over to Oklahoma State, and the Cowgirls won that one. Texas A&M traveled to South Carolina, and they won 10-8. This was big because road victories, especially inside the conference, are going to be really tough for everybody this year, and so getting that was a big deal for the Aggies. 
UC Davis took a trip up to South Dakota and beat both the host Jackrabbits and visiting Minnesota Crookston. Among the single discipline teams, Lynchburg and Sweetbriar faced off with the Vixens winning a 5-5 tiebreaker at home. Newcomers College of Charleston rode their first meet ever against South Carolina. They lost big, but it was still nice to see them join the league. Bridgewater also took a trip to both Sacred Heart and Dartmouth, and they lost both of those. Week 8. Here's where things get kind of sad for all all the Auburn fans listening. Auburn went on the road to Texas A&M and SMU, losing both of those contests. Uh, But frankly, pretty much every team in the sport would have also done that, so there you go. Baylor went over to TCU and lost soundly. Single discipline Sewanee also lost at Lynchburg. And Sacred Heart lost at Dartmouth. It's really hard to win on the road. (laughs) Week 9. Week 9 produced the biggest upset of the fall with SMU losing on the road at Fresno State. Baylor lost at Delaware State that same week, uh, proving that the Hornets are for real. Baylor also lost to UT Martin at the neutral site, and then the Skyhawks lost to the host Delaware State. Now, down south, Oklahoma State faced off against South Carolina and Georgia, dropping both of those contests. SMU finished up the week with a nice road victory at UC Davis. And finally, in week 10, there was only one meet to talk about. Barry College traveled over to Swanee, and the Purple Tigers got the home win over the Vikings. So it was a very exciting fall. Uh, And now let's look at how all of that translates into the The official official Auburn Elvis Elvis College College Equestrian Equestrian Rankings. Now, number one is TCU. The Frogs are one of the two remaining undefeated teams in the sport, and their wins over SMU, Oklahoma State, and Georgia are superlative. Uh, This is really shaping up to be the best season in TCU equestrian history. Number two is Texas A&M. The Aggies were undefeated at home and also took road victories over South Carolina and Oklahoma State. They lost at SMU, but even that wasn't enough to move them below the Mustangs in the current rankings. Now, at number three, we have SMU. (laughs) The Mustangs were also perfect at home, including wins over Texas A&M and Auburn, but lost on the road to Fresno State. Now, you could make a strong case that the Mustangs should probably be lower than Auburn right now, but since those teams are going to rematch in the spring, I'm okay with putting SMU at number three for right now. Now, number four is Auburn. The Tigers were also perfect at home, just as they have been for the last five years. Uh, But since they lost at Texas A&M and at SMU, it's a tough sell to move them up very high on the strength of their schedule. They just haven't played a lot of great teams. Now, that'll change here in the spring. Auburn's going to get their chance to climb back up later as their schedule gets a little tougher. Now, number five is Georgia. Georgia slides into that top tier of teams that have been perfect at home. Uh, They lost on the road to Auburn and Texas A&M, plus a neutral site loss to TCU, but their home victory over South Carolina and Oklahoma State are really worth celebrating. Right below them at number six is South Carolina. The Gamecocks did lose at home to Texas A&M and on the road to Auburn and Georgia, but they look strong in their remaining meets. And with them defeating almost every team below them, South Carolina is in a good position to make the national championship tournament this April. Now, at number seven, we have a bit of surprise to a lot of you. It's not a surprise to me. Delaware State. Just like TCU, the Hornets are undefeated. 
Their resume isn't particularly eye-opening, but defeating Baylor and UT Martin at home are noteworthy nonetheless. At number eight, we have Oklahoma State. Yee-haw! This seems like a down year for the Cowgirls. They defeated Baylor and Fresno State, but lost to everyone else on their schedule. They need to turn things around this spring if they want to make a deep tournament run this year. Okay, so speaking of the tournament, uh, those eight teams right there, they would be in the national championship tournament if things ended today. But in the spring, uh, these next few teams that I'm going to talk about, they could work their way up into one of those spots if they get some key wins and maybe get a little lucky with some other teams losing. At number nine, we have Fresno State. Their shocking win over SMU pretty much saved the Bulldogs from a disastrous fall. But if they want to make it to Ocala, they're going to need to keep winning. They've pretty much got to beat Baylor um, and UC Davis, and they'll probably have to pull another upset out of their hat and, you know, against one of the stronger opponents on their schedule. At number 10 is UT Martin. The Skyhawks have won the meets they were expected to win, and they've lost the rest, but that's not really good enough to get you to Ocala these days. This spring, they are going to need to beat UC Davis and Delaware State and hope that Baylor and Fresno State don't look too impressive the rest of the way. Speaking of which, let's talk about Baylor. The Bears are at about number 11, number 12, somewhere in there right now, and they need some wins. In addition to their two top in-conference opponents, the Bears have got to go on the road to Fresno State, then turn around and ride against UC Davis. They also have the Big 12 tournament, which they host, that could be useful for them to impress the uh, the voters. But basically, if they go 0-2 in California, their chances of making it to Ocala are pretty slim. UC Davis, however, is not in a comparable position. Hello, you. Unfortunately for the Aggies, their conference schedule probably isn't strong enough to get them to Ocala, even if they were to go on to win the ECAC tournament in March. About the best they can hope for is playing the role of spoiler for any of the five teams ranked above them. One more thing I want to touch on is the subject of the national championship. Now, I did the research, and every national champion in the past 10 years has either been undefeated at home or has a single loss and that loss came to the previous year's national champion. Last year, SMU was undefeated at home. Before that, Oklahoma State was undefeated at home. Before that, Georgia's only home loss was to Auburn, who was the previous national champions. And then you go back a few more years, and uh, one of the Auburn teams that won it, their only home loss was to Georgia, who was the champion before. You go back through, yada, yada, yada. On it goes back to 2014 Georgia, who was the last team to win the national championship with a home loss to someone other than the previous season's national champion. So, if that holds true this year, then the teams that are still in the running to win the national championship are TCU, Texas A&M, SMU, Auburn, Georgia, and Delaware State. Everybody else has some losses at home that uh, are not to the previous champion, which is SMU. So that's just one more thing to keep an eye out for this spring. Now, also looking at the single discipline teams, here are the rankings for those. At number one, I have Lynchburg. The Hornets are knotted up in a circular, transitive argument with Sweetbriar and Dartmouth, but since Lynchburg's win over Dartmouth way back in week one was a road win, I give them the edge in the rankings. At number two, I have Sweetbriar. 
The Vixens defeated Lynchburg at home, but lost on the road to Dartmouth. That's pretty much why they're number two. At number three, I have Dartmouth. The Big Green have that huge tiebreaker win over Sweetbriar. They've also taken care of business against Bridgewater and Sacred Heart, so they're clearly in the top three right now. Okay, now... For their tournament, there's only four spots in the uh, single discipline national championship. So those three teams are probably going to make it in. So everybody else is trying to get into that last remaining spot. Here are those teams. At number four right now is Sacred Heart. The Pioneers have won and lost as expected. They're the fourth best team right now. Thing is, they have some really tough meets coming up. And if one of the teams below them gets some eye-opening wins they may actually drop out of the number four spot. At number five, I have Swanee. They lost to the top tier teams, uh, but they beat Barry at home. They have a pair of winnable home meets upcoming, plus the ODAC tournament to impress the NCA voters with. We'll see if the Tigers can make it to Ocala. They definitely have a shot. At number six, I have Bridgewater. The Eagles are probably going to need to beat Swanee on the road and Charleston at the neutral site, plus do well in the ODAC tournament just to get to Ocala. So, bit of a long shot there. At number seven, I have College of Charleston. With so few meets in their inaugural season, the Cougars just don't have enough opportunities to impress the voters. They have an away meet at Lynchburg. They're probably going to lose that. Um, they have a neutral site meet against Bridgewater that's winnable, but it looks like they're probably going to have to win both of those and or upset either Auburn or Texas A&M at the end of the season, which I can go ahead and tell you that's not going to happen. Um, that's what they would need to do to get into one of those top four spots. So probably not going to happen this year for College of Charleston. Um, they're just going to need to be happy for making it through a, a season number one for them. And in eighth place, I have Barry College. With their loss to Swanee, the Vikings are looking at a tough uphill climb as well. Um, they pretty much have to beat Swanee in their second meet that's going to happen at Swanee. Plus, they're probably going to have to beat at least one of Sweetbriar or Lynchburg to get to Ocala. So good luck there. Both of those are on the road, by the way. And it's, it's probably not going to happen. I'm sorry, Vikings. But again, you're, you're kind of in that same boat with College of Charleston. All right. So now let's do a quick update on the Golden, Golden Score Sheet Awards. Awards. The Golden Score Sheet Award is a competition where each week I review all of the official score sheets and I award deductions and bonus points based on the number of errors that I find in those. Because again, over the years I've found a ton of errors. Things are getting better, but I've now had to start ranking how good people are with their score sheets. The team with the highest point total at the end of the year is going to win an actual award from me commemorating their achievement in outstanding records keeping. Now, a lot of the people putting together these score sheets seem to think that if you leave a box blank, that is the same as if you had put a zero in there. It is not. Um, for example, if a rider were to go off pattern on her ride and she gets a zero from the judges, you would write the zero down in the box because that's what she got. You would not leave the box blank and just say, oh, everybody knows that's probably a zero. <laughs> so leaving out zeros in boxes... Not in that case, but in other cases where maybe you're totaling up a whole bunch of zeros and you just figure, ah, oh, the total of five zeros is zero, so I don't even have to write that. Well, no, you do have to write that. 
So things like that has cost several schools a lot of points in the Golden Score Sheet standings. There have been other things too, but uh, right now we pretty much have Sacred Heart and SMU in first place with perfect 100s. So they have had score sheets that they've done that have no errors in them. Everybody else has done score sheets um, that has errors or they haven't done any score sheets and it doesn't look like they're going to do any home meets. So SMU and uh, Sacred Heart, it's pretty much them in first place. And what they're going to do is, through the rest of the schedule in the spring, Sacred Heart doesn't have any home meets coming up on the schedule, so we know they're going to get 100. So basically, it's whether or not SMU makes any errors in their score sheets the rest of the way, or some other team could, (coughs) TCU, take advantage of the bonus point opportunity by placing the home team on the right of the score sheet, as God intended. So yeah, you get you get five bonus points on your score sheet if you put the home team on the right. For some reason, well, I know what the reason is. It's vanity. Everybody puts themselves first. They put themselves on the left when they're the host. You should not do that. In American standard, It's you should put the home team on the right. You don't believe me? Go look at other college sports. Go look at their scoreboards uh, on ESPN or Sports I guess I should promote Sports Illustrated since I write for Sports Illustrated. Anyway, yeah, go to Sports Illustrated. Look at the scores. Any of the other college sports, the home team is on the right. College Equestrian puts, you know, they don't have really a standard. They've never really talked about it. I'm the only person saying, hey, you should do this because you're different from all the other college sports. So eventually they'll change. Well, this is one of the ways we're going to get get make change happen is we're going to give away an award for the teams that, you know, have good score sheets and we give bonuses for the people who do the home team on the right. So that's where we are with the Golden Score Sheet Awards. Next, let's look at some, some meat, meat previews. previews. So, our first meet of the weekend is Delaware State at TCU. Here we go. The last two remaining undefeated teams in the sport are going to square off to begin the spring season. Now, I just want to start off by saying that regardless of the outcome, Delaware State is for real, y'all. They return a lot of talent. They've got several All-Americans, so they are no slouch. That said, they're probably going to lose this meet. I expect TCU to win fences 3-2. to two. Delaware State to win the flat 3-2, TCU to win horsemanship 4-1, and TCU to win reigning 4-0. That adds up to a 13-6 TCU win. The next meet we have to look at is South Dakota State at SMU. Uh, On the next day, South Dakota State is going to be over there in Dallas. I think the Mustangs are going to win big, probably 14-4, maybe even more. So, actually, yeah, let's say more. Let's say 16-2. It's going to be big. After that, Delaware State and South Dakota State are going to square off at the neutral site. I think the Hornets win that uh, 14 to 6 or 12 to 4 if it's just a 4 on 4 meet. So, yeah, I think, that, I think the Hornets are going to get a win. It just won't be against SMU. Next, we have Dartmouth at Texas A&M. Uh, good luck to the big green here. They're going to need it. They might get a point. We'll say they do. We'll say that uh, this ends up being a 9 to 1 A&M win in this single discipline meet. Uh, next we have Georgia at Baylor. Now this could be interesting. Uh, Baylor didn't have a great fall, but it's at home. They still have a lot of talent. They just haven't been riding up to their, their talent level. Um, and maybe this is where the comeback begins for them. I think fences is going to go three to two for Georgia. I think flat is going to go three to two for Georgia. Horsemanship is probably a two to two tie and reigning would also be a two to two tie. So if you add that up, 
Uh, looks like it's going to be a 10 to 8 victory for Georgia, but that's close, and it is at Baylor, so you know maybe maybe an upset is on the is is on the horizon there. We'll see. And then finally, we have Delaware State at SMU. Um, the Hornets are going to go over to SMU after they're done at TCU. I think SMU takes fences three to two. I think the flat goes uh, two to two for everybody. Horsemanship would go three to two for Delaware State, and reigning I think would go four to nothing for SMU, and that would add up to an eleven to seven win for SMU. So close again, but I think that's going to go to the home team. Um, now, as always, these are all based on past performances, and so, you know, we don't know exactly what's going to happen, although I will say that Dartmouth at Texas A&M, we do know what's going to happen. That's going to that's gonna go big for the Aggies. But other everybody else, you know, things, who knows? These, you know, we, we have to tune into the actual meets or, you know, tune into this podcast next week to find out what really happened. Now, there are two other noteworthy announcements that happened during the winter break. First, the NCEA announced this year's slate of distinguished alumni. Uh, the way the league does this is every year they have several categories of distinction, and then they have alumni uh, from different schools. They get recognized in various uh, groups and classes. In this year's class, Auburn alumni Dr. Lindsay Portella McGowan will be recognized in the field of education. Um, now, she's a little bit before my time. She rode uh, between 2010 and 2013. Uh, but after her equestrian career, she earned her doctorate in counseling, and she has been an adjunct professor at Auburn. So congratulations to her and all the other non-Auburn honorees. Uh, let's see. Uh, Oklahoma State has one. Uh, TCU has two. Uh, Reagan Rast. Yeah, I know that name. Uh, Texas A&M has two honorees. Baylor has two. And South Carolina has one. So yeah, good job to that whole group. Also, the NCAA has created its own Hall of Fame starting this year. Auburn coach emeritus Greg Williams is one of the inductees, so that's a name most of my listeners would know. Also, friend of the show Tom O'Mara is being inducted as well. So, um, looking at the press release, basically it looks like they have three categories for uh, induction into the Hall of Fame. One, if you're a writer, so Texas A&M's Quincy uh, Cahill-Allen and Baylor's Samantha Schaefer are among that group. Then there's a group for the coaches in which Greg Williams and Texas A&M's Tana McKay, they're inductees in that that, uh, category. And there's also a group for special contributor. And that's where Tom O'Mara and Baylor's Nancy Post are being inducted there. And I actually remember emailing Nancy back when I was trying to get media credentials during COVID. So I think, I bet she's one of the, the big people behind the scenes during all those years where the tournament was over in Waco. So yeah, a fine list of inductees. Uh, I'm, I'm especially encouraged that there's a special contributor category. That that might come in handy someday. We'll see. Um, but yeah, that is all for our winter break episode. I am your host, Auburn Elvis. I thank you very much for listening and War Horses. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode on the E2C Network. On your way out, I want to remind you to stop by E2Cnetwork.com. It's your one-stop shop for all our content across our podcast, YouTube channel, and much more. To stay up to date with us, make sure you're following social media accounts such as Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. While our content here may always be Auburn sports heavy, if it's orange and blue, it's what we do. War Eagle.